0: Welcome to Model Minority Moms, where we talk about the meaning of success in career, family, and life. We are Jeanette Park, Kate Wong, and Susan Liu, Harvard classmates and Asian-American working moms who get real about the pressures of fitting in while standing out.
1: Greetings, greetings. Welcome back to another episode of Model Minority Moms. Today, we are talking about downshifting in your career after you become a parent what are the decisions that you're going to make that are right for your family right for you or maybe right for nobody but you have to make them anyways we're going to talk about it because frankly we don't get to talk about it that much it's kind of a pretty shameful topic and so I want to start this off with Jeanette because Jeanette is the one who is pushing for this Jeanette why do you feel so strongly that we need to talk about this now
0: Okay, so my kids are in early elementary school and late toddlerhood. And so I've been a mom for five plus years now. The people around me also have been entering this parenthood stage, like more or less in a similar timeline. And what I've started noticing is that there are women around me who are starting to make maybe some different career choices, some dads as well, but I would say it's more the moms. And More often than that, it's a decision to maybe take a job that is in a different industry, that is more flexible, that's fewer hours, generally a little bit like less demanding. And I see this and I feel like it's not discussed. It's just something that's noted, but then the conversation quickly moves on to something else. And I also feel like it's very interesting like how different people talk about it how the mom might talk about it, how her husband might talk about it, how the other friends around that family might talk about it. I just feel like it's a pretty common thing. But like you said, Susan, there is a certain amount of shame around this decision. And you know me, I just like to bring those kinds of things out in the open, right? Because I'm just like, okay, well, this is like something that's happening. It's fairly prevalent, but we're all just pretending like it doesn't (laughs)
1: Totally, you know, yeah. let's get into it. And I think what's really juicy is we'll talk about each of our decisions that we've had to make and the feelings around this, too, because I'm so curious. of like, why is it always the women? What's this about? Is it because a baby came out of us for the most part? Like, is it why we think this is the right thing to do and we are willing to eat it? Hmm. So I love this conversation because <laughs> earlier I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about downgrading our career. And I was like, no, it's downshifting. And I, I realized it was like the worst slip ever because I was like, oh my God, am I downgrading? Am I unlocking a new level? Am I regressing in this video game called Life? And then two
0: minutes later, you called it downgrading again. And I was like, I know that well, we'll we, you'll probably do it in this episode.
1: <laughs> I was explaining that's what I kept thinking the title was because that's how I sometimes feel about it. All right. So I want to understand for each of you. To share with our listeners, like, have you downshifted in your career? Did you make that choice or do you frame it that way or what's going on for each of you right now? Kate, you want
2: to start? Oh, okay. I think this is a good topic because it's something that I found myself very uncomfortable in terms of even thinking about for myself. And actually, Nerve and I had a conversation about this maybe like late last year after Lila was born. Although we didn't, it's funny, we didn't frame it as downshifting, just more like articulating how I think about career. I think I just want to back up and say that since 2016, when I moved back from China, I've like worked from home. I'm like the OG work from home. And I think having that experience, I realized I really enjoy the flexibility. I like people, but I get my socialization through friends or other methods. So I really like that flexibility. And I felt like for me, even before having kids, it would have been really hard to go back to a traditional office setting. And then we were stuck at home during COVID when Raya was born. You got, you both know, like before we had kids, I traveled a lot for work and also for fun. I would be gone for three weeks at a time. And then we had a kid, but then also COVID happened. So we went nowhere. And I feel like all my energies turned inward. You know, as Susan jokes, like a PhD and all things like kid related. But I think that was because all of things that I would have been doing, like going on a business trip to visit my colleagues in China or going to visit my client in Africa, like I was chainally inward. And then I think for a while, it kind of did make me a little resentful because I feel like meanwhile, my husband is over there doing a startup at home and having all these other things. And I think now where I am in my journey after going through a lot of feeling resentful or should I do something else is, well, first of all, I want to say that I think we're in a place as our family financially where neither of us have to do like a full time in office job oh my god that's amazing yes i want to be really clear about that because of the way we in a sense we set our lives up and things that happened before this point so we don't have to if we don't want to and so that's not a choice that i think a lot of people are able to make so i want to be very clear about that but also i think that was a result of the both of us willing to take certain big risks that other people were not willing to take in their careers to get us to this place does that make sense so there's no judgment on that it's just precluding like we made certain big risks They paid off. So now we don't really either of us have to go take an office job. But the way I think about it now is that because I have the flexibility to not have to go do like a nine to five job in an office or something like that, what should I do with that? And I've Felt okay. Maybe I should I go do like a startup. Should I go do this business? And there is a part of me that is maybe you should be productive with time. I mean, like go and earn some money stuff. You know, we've talked about this before. Like we measure our worth by are we earning money? Are we like doing a startup? Is like very prestigious because then you go out fundraising. It's like cool and sexy. And I've definitely wrestled with that. But I I think I also know that I'm not a startup person. Like not in a classic sense of like a you know private equity funded startup. And what I care about the most actually now is a lot of the things that we talk about in our podcast, which a lot of things related to healing things from where I came from, my family. I'm thinking about how to be a better person for my kids and for our family. And also just balancing a lot of things I think now that modern women face. So for me, I feel like I am more comfortable now than I was before with having my career. be. I basically like only work for money part time. I have two clients. It's pretty easy. I would say it only takes up like a few hours a day, right? Or if sometimes not even a few hours a day if I don't have meetings. And then what do I do with the rest of my time? We have the podcast. I recently joined my friend's nonprofit, which is actually related to some of my intellectual interests, which is like helping parents navigate through kids' difficult developmental times by picking the right books in Chinese to read to them, which is really interesting anyway. And I think it's interesting though, I don't know if you guys have noticed that even though I have all this extra time, I still feel the need to fill up my time, which I think is this like weird compulsion. Even though it's not money-making time, but it's still like busy time. But I think I'm okay with that. Like this setup where, okay, I'm earning the money. The money-earning job is like only a little bit of the time. And then the rest of the time, I get to pursue things that I find very intellectually interesting, but not necessarily generate income or these other things. And I know that most people can't necessarily do that. But I finally learned to be okay with like, okay, that's what I'm doing. But I think it took a long time to get here to feel comfortable with that. I don't even think I've enunciated these thoughts necessarily with other people other than you guys, because there is still a bit of shame, right? As Jeanette said, since you have all this extra time now, you should maybe go do something that is more prestigious. Like I said, go do a startup or go do that. But I think also part of that is noise, because we have a lot of friends who are in startups and I know a lot of women who are in that space, but I'm not that kind of person. Part of it is also knowing myself. So I don't know. All that to say, it's like very disjointed, very fragmented. But I guess I want to say that, yeah, I'm okay with downshifting my career. But there's a reason why we're downshifting. We're able to financially, one, which I think is really important. And two, it's something that actually I know we were saying that this is something that most women end up doing. But actually, Nerov is I don't know if he would call it downshifting, but I think he and I have both come to agreement that while the kids are really young, I think we're both going to avoid things that would make us travel a lot and take up really intense, inflexible chunks of our time. And that's the decision that we've made, but we've also had the luxury to make as a family, which I think most people aren't in that position. So I keep caveating it, but I think that's really important to
1: know. Yeah, so what, what I'm hearing from all this is that both of you took a certain number of risks that paid off. Yes, and they could have not paid off, by the way, we could totally not have any, not much, and we'd still be working, or I'd be like looking for a job, an office job or whatever, for sure. But it's like in the evolution of careers is that eventually, like, say, after someone retires or while they're entering their retirement age, say, their 50s, 60s, 70s, then they enter their sunset career, which is the thing they actually wanted to do. The thing that brings them more purpose and feelings of joy and the things that they couldn't do earlier, they can do. And so you're in a place right now where that's like not the number one criteria is like salary anymore. Right.
2: Yes. And I think it's hard to also say that because with it comes, I think, a huge amount of privilege to be able to say that. But I also want to be really transparent because it's true. But I also then caveat it by saying it's not like we just got lucky and ended up here. I think we did make a lot of risks. You know, I was just talking to Nirav and my therapist about it this past week because we had a huge fight last weekend. And it's because we went through some really intense really hard years. Like I talked about it a little bit with you guys, but, and you guys also know, like our marriage has taken an immense amount of stress from this. I don't want to compare, but it's like just a lot. And so I think now we're finally able to have a little more control over our own time and get to a healthier place. So there's all of that involved in there too. So everything has a cost, right? And I don't know. You ask me, is it worth the cost of having the flexible time? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. Like this is where we ended up, but it's not without, I think, a tremendous amount of cost to mental
1: health, our marriage, our kids and everything. Yeah. Right. It's like you pay the toll somewhere, whether that early or not in manifest different ways. But Kate, look, I think many of us would like to be in your position. And I want to say thank you for actually being super transparent, because fundamentally, it's hard to talk about money out loud and people just don't do it. And then there's more shame around that. So basically, everyone's in a different situation. Can't wait to be in your situation. <laughs> OK, Kate, did you downship? Yes, no or not really?
2: Yeah, I think so. For sure. I think I was kind of uncomfortable about thinking about that. But now I'm pretty comfortable because the reason I say that is I I really like the lifestyle that we have now, not just the job or our work like there are different. No one is ever like 100 percent happy with everything. But I like the pace of life that we have now and the decisions that we're making finally, maybe like for the first time. And I feel okay voicing it and saying and I think it took a while to
1: get here. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. All right. How about you, Jeanette? Did you downshift in your career?
0: Yes, no, or maybe? I mean, like hard to know what we exactly mean by downshift, right? So I think, yes, I would say probably for most people looking at how I spend my time, they would say yes. I think overall, if you look at my waking hours, I spend more time total working either in a job outside the family or family related work. If you add all of that time together, I work more than any other job I had in the past. And I worked jobs in the past where I was like staying up until 2 a.m. And I was doing like whatever. I would say like some of the corporate jobs I worked were very demanding. Hashtag McKinsey consultant. Okay. Uh, Entry level McKinsey consultant job can be extremely demanding. And I would say that I consistently work more now than I did in those jobs. But when you just look at the slice of my time that is for work that is outside the home, the time that I spend on those things is significantly less than in previous jobs that I've had. In that sense, I would say that I am quote unquote downshifting. But then there's the other layer of it, which is not only did I change the allocation of my time, I also changed what I do in that time when I work on things outside of the family. So now I'm pursuing more of entrepreneurial ventures. I'm starting a company called Home HQ, which is providing different services aimed at dual professional parents. So that has another layer to it because not only am I just prorating my income to be less, but it's way less than that because I am starting something new. There's a lot of investment and there's a lot of upfront time investment that I need to make to get this kind of thing off the ground. And so I feel like for me on the emotional side, what I kind of wrestle with is both spending less time on work outside of family stuff. There's emotions associated with that, but then layered on top of that is also all the insecurities of being an entrepreneur, which I feel like is just rice, right? Most of the entrepreneurs that I talk to, whether they are self-funded and bootstrapped or they're raising VC, there's so much insecurity out there about like how your company is doing. The pressure to fake it till you make it is very high. That's a little bit of a separate conversation, but I think it like leans in the same way where there's a little bit of this pressure in certain circles that I feel like I run to come off as like very intense in your work. I am very intense in my work and I'm going crazy. And I think I was more signed up for that like prior to kids. But I think since having kids, I frankly don't want that. And I'm just going to say it out loud. I don't actually want that to be my life anymore. It's a little bit of a complicated statement. In an ideal world, I could still devote a lot of hours to my work, both inside the family and outside the family. But it's also the mental part of not wanting to feel like so stressed out over work all the time. And I carry that stress and intensity with me, like wherever I go. For me, that is correlated with the time that I also do spend on work. So I don't know if that makes sense. Because I feel like for certain people that I meet, including Jake, Those two things are somewhat more decoupled. Like he is able to work a lot. And when he's at work, work at a fairly high intensity. But then when he's not at work, he's able to not carry that around with him. Is this a dude thing? Marvin can do that too.
1: Like when he's on
0: vacation, he's
1: totally on vacation. When he comes home, he can be home. And I cannot, I
0: want that superhero
1: power and I cannot do it. Is this a man thing?
0: It's not perfect for Jake. I know that actually things are getting to a new level of stress. When he starts kind of blank, he gets that glaze over his eyes when he's at the dinner table or whatever. So it's not like those things are totally unrelated for him, but I feel like they're more loosely coupled than they are for me. For me, when things get stressful at work, boom, it shows up in the way that I am with even when I'm not at work or not at work outside. We need to come up with a better, more pithy term, but like, you know what I mean? Like work. Because I want to recognize that family work is fucking work, too. But when people colloquially say work, it still like mainly refers to work outside the home. Let's say with external customers. Customers.
2: I don't know if this is a guy thing, but I definitely know like Narev and I have this thing, too, where he's better able to triage, I think maybe because of his medical training. So like when 10 things are happening at once, I just get really overwhelmed and I just have a meltdown. I can't handle my emotions. There's a lot going on. He's just somehow able to, I don't know if it's his medical training or because of his upbringing or his gender or whatever, but he's just like, no big deal, whatever. Like the kids could be screaming at him and like other things happen. He's like, whatever. I don't know. I can't do that.
1: I feel like my emotional and nervous system is just so different than Marvin's. Sometimes I'll get an email and I'll get paralyzed for two hours and I'll just feel like a bag of trash where I'll be like, Oh, life sucks. And we can't
0: get out of it. Yeah, or I get an email or there's something like outstanding, and it's just like looping in my brain, even though there's nothing I can do about it right then. But it's just in my brain and it's affecting like how I show up. I don't know if it's because of our gender, socialization, our trauma, upbringing. But I think that, yeah, for me, those things are unfortunately like more tightly coupled. And I think I have made progress in trying to... Decouple those things more, but it still does affect me a lot more. So I think that's all just to come back to say. Yeah, I think the way most people would, like, if they had full information to what I do all day and how I spend my time, they would classify what I do as a quote unquote downshift. Mm. But I think I resonate with what you were saying, Kate, which is like, rather than think of it as a downshift, that's the main framing of it. I think the way that I think about it mostly is like, okay, given the options available to our family and my priorities. What's the best fit I could get? I think what I'm doing currently is the best fit. I probably work about 30 to 35 hours a week. And I spend a lot of time with my kids. I drop them off. I pick them up. And so I feel satisfied in the sense that I'm pretty close to the life between family and outside of family work that I would want at this point. But also to acknowledge that, yeah, it's a total privilege. I think for many families in today's America, both parents do have to work full time. They don't have a lot of choice in what kind of work they might be able to do, if it's remote or not. And they just have to do that just to make things work, to live life. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. But I think the general stance of our podcast is acknowledging the privilege that is present in all of our lives to differing degrees, depending on the dimension. We also just want to be transparent because there's a lot of shame around certain privileges, but that also really suppresses the conversation around these topics, right?
2: Can we go back to one point that you made, Jeanette, about when you were working at McKinsey, you were super busy. And I have friends who are, you're like traveling on the road all the time. That's a form of being super busy. And then once you started a family, there's the work that you do that's not outside the home. So basically in the homework and how that adds to the busyness. Now, sometimes I really struggle to explain to my girlfriends and guy friends who don't have kids, like how it's so different. Can we illustrate, let's say if there are listeners out there or our male listeners who don't do the stuff at the home necessarily, like how much extra work there is. Can we enunciate that? Like once you have kids, what's the extra work that's real work? Right. Because I think
1: we need to explicitly say it. Yeah. Like on the outside, I think when I was pre-kid, like when I was like really hungry, you know, in my 20s, like really like hustling. It's a different hustle now. But I'd always look at middle, like super middle age, 30s, 40s people and be like, you're coasting. No,
2: 30s is not middle age Susan. I take umbrage with that. What?
1: Umbrage? 50, 50 is the new middle age. <laughs> 50 50, That's 50, all the collagen speaking, girl. Okay. Um, okay. Sorry. Go. Continue. I would look at these middle aged people and I'd be like, I guess you just start coasting or they're so in love with their children. They're just like tapping out. I saw it this week. I saw it as, oh, boring. And then now that I'm in it, you can't even describe to non-kid people like how hard it is to just have your kid put on their underwear and shoes. It's a thing that takes you and me like, you know, a few seconds. But like children, it might take five to 30 minutes for different reasons related to their prefrontal cortex development or that they just spilled milk everywhere again for the second time, even though you told them to be careful, whatever, you know, and you're gouging your eyes out going like, I can't even get out the door to put you in daycare that I pay for so I can actually work and do something either for myself or for my work. It's everyday tasks become so hard. They're like 10 times harder. Plus, there's jam everywhere now and it's jam on and Bet then you. and then now they're and now they're in their bed and they won't leave and they lost this one toy oh my god like, i hate oh it oh when that gosh. happens you like, oh know where god. the yellow car is and then you're like using your iphone light to go find the fucking yellow car and yeah, at 2 a.m in the morning yeah and it's actually in the other room where they were just hanging out and they totally just forgot and where's my comfort blanket Oh, it's in the other car. Well, we're halfway to the airport, but you want to hear it for the next (laughs) 38 hours? No, you drive back, and then you're like, why? I can't. I have to install the car seat, but I don't know how. Help me. And then you go on YouTube. Then you have to watch ads, but then your child is like dying and having another meltdown. Did you bring the snacks?
0: Where is the fruit snack? Oh, it's just like non-stop. Did you guys watch Bluey? Yeah, so my kids are not really into Bluey, and I feel like Bluey is for parents. I love it so much. Is it an Australian cartoon or something? Yeah, it's an Australian public broadcasting cartoon. Other people recommended Bluey to me for my kids, and then I watched it. My kids are like, I don't want to watch that. I'm like, oh, I see. It's funny to me. It's not funny to you. Well, so the reason why I mentioned Bluey is you guys need to, Susan, you need to watch this
2: episode. Actually, you have Disney. Uh, you're on my Disney. Go watch it. I'll send it to you. Thank you it's- so much, by the way. I love being on your <laughs> You're account. welcome. Disney, please don't cancel me because you realize that I'm sharing it with someone who's like not a family member. Anyway, so there's this one episode where basically the dad takes the kids to the pool. And Do you remember this episode, Jeanette? And he's I'm the fun dad. And that morning, like the kids are like annoyed with their mom because they think their mom is basically she's wasting time making them do all this stuff. So the dad's like, I'm the fun dad. I'm going to take you guys to the pool. So he takes the two kids to the pool, but he literally brings nothing. They're like, we want to. Oh, you did you bring our hat? Dad? No. What about us? i like, no. Okay, we want to jump into. No, you can't because I forgot to bring your floaties. So to me, it, it just exemplified how a division between dad and mom or like no kid and somebody with kids because everything that you do, like Susan just illustrated, at least 10, 20, maybe 30 things to think of. It's not just you bringing your adult-ass self to some place. You got one or two or three or more creatures. And then they all need stuff. And also, can we just say that we no longer live in a multi-generational society? I think one of the big FUs to parents today is that we're all in nuclear families. Like back in the day, my dad would be like, hey, how come my mom was able to raise three kids or four kids just fine by herself? And I'm like, first of all, dad, you guys lived in like a courtyard situation where there are all these neighbors. The kids just hung out with each other. You guys all took care of each other. And also grandma wasn't like beset by crippling standards of society that make you do things a certain way. So I just think things have changed a lot. Plus, it's just everything that you do now, it's like 10x, 20x more complicated than when you were like just by yourself, right? That's all the work,
0: right? Well, can I just say that the summary of the Bluey episode that you just gave? Oh, okay. that's not for kids. A kid's not going to watch that and be like, oh, it's so funny that the mom, she was so nagging. Oh, who showed up? Shut up? Yes, who should have been run everything the kids wanted, and then they had a good time. The kids, that is not going to absorb in their brains, right? It's just going to slide right off. That whole premise is aimed at parents. It's aimed at moms, right? This is what I'm saying about Bluey. It's a very funny show for parents, not for kids. But it's a great show nonetheless. You can pretend it's like for your kids when it's actually for yourself. I I gotta say as a mom, I know this happens to you.
1: Every time I leave the car with my kid, I'm carrying like 10 different items in my hands. I got the backpack. I got some groceries. I got their artwork. I've got this thing that needs to be washed and it's wet. And like, I've run out of finger gripping. And I'm yeah. just like, Sometimes it's just so hard to get from the car back home. Yeah. How did this happen? And it's not that I feel I'm an excessive person that likes a lot of things, whatever. Like I'm a minimalist. I try to make things as practical and easy as possible and I'm so cheap. And yet I still find that there's clutter everywhere and there's always an endless amount of tasks. And it's not that... I I just forgot how to make it work. Like, I'm still the same Susan. But somehow there's just more. It's like overflowing with more at a time when I'm looking at my career and I'm like, yeah, this is when I'm going to also be hustling for my career. And I just feel like it's all coming to a head and the parents are aging at the same time. I'm just like, why is this all happening right now? And why are there three birthdays this weekend?
2: Yeah, that's yeah. why pivot tables on a spreadsheet. I'd rather take that any time over wrestling kids to school. You know, I, oh, I, yeah. I, I had a I, I I must confess, I screamed at my kids this morning. It was a rough morning.
1: I don't scream at pivot tables. There's control there. I might scream
0: at pivot tables. Well, pivot tables don't make irrational demands. The way they're they work, the way they're supposed to work. They're programmed, right? Yeah, exactly. You like tell them to do something and then they just do it, right? Okay. All the conversation of the last five minutes, right, is just basically to establish that that's like part of a little bit of the shame slash responding rage of going back to our theme of downshifting your career. I feel sometimes the need to justify my choices. Like, why am I working less? Because I want to be more present with my kids. And there's a shit ton of things to do for the family. And so that is like part of the rage is you just feel so gaslighted because there's so much to do and so much to think about and so much to carry both physically and emotionally, literally and metaphorically. I don't know if this is a voice we are imagining or what, but there does seem to be like this external voice saying, oh, it's not so hard. Like you have all this education. You should be able to like do it all. So why aren't you? So I feel like that is part of the shaming dynamic. And then there's an aspect to the response, which is some rage, which is you don't understand. Why do I have to justify myself to you? Because there is so much work. I generally think that up till age five, it wouldn't be overkill to have one adult per waking child, right? And then another person To take care of all the supporting stuff of like thinking about food and laundry, packing snacks for that outing, cleaning out the car after they come back, putting things back where they belong. I think if you have two or three kids, having one adult just focusing on what that kid is doing and being attuned to them and making sure they're not using the couch as a napkin for their peanut butter hands, having a one to one kid ratio plus another adult to just do the outside support logistical work. That's not that much of an overkill. That's a situation where the adults actually can have a sustainable life. You know what I mean? Like where the adults can feel happy about the situation because they don't feel like they're being pulled in 4,000 directions and their head's going to explode. So maybe there
1: was like some wisdom to the 50s where there was this stay-at-home model where it was normalized. I mean, look.
0: But it's so taboo, right? (laughs) I feel like in a lot of circles that we run in, it's like, oh, don't even mention that because yeah I mean
1: like well okay let's be real all three of us have master's degrees if you say like oh yeah I'm doing something a little bit more flexible or whatever so either you're like coasting you're not fulfilling your potential you're like removing your foot off the gas on the career part it's like oh you gave up sure people are going to say good for you and like you do you boo but really don't you think inside it's oh You missed out on your life. You didn't fulfill your potential, so you didn't really make your money back on, like, the school loans that you paid. Don't you feel like there's always a loss
0: for the moms? This is going to be very touchy. I think some of those comments come from the people closest to you. One thing that I was thinking about as we were approaching this topic is actually comments I have heard from husbands about how they talk about their wife's career decisions when their wife is usually not there. This was like prior to when I had kids. So, you know, I was like very clueless about what that life was actually really like. And I would hear this more senior, older person talking and say, you know, he he and his wife both were at the company I was working at. They both got to fairly senior level together. She was like even a little bit accelerated than he was. And then she left to go work for a nonprofit. But like the way he talked about it was like a shrug. I don't know. Like she wanted to leave and do this other thing. Shrug. A more recent conversation I had with a friend of ours, similar situation. They met in college, both went to an Ivy League college, both went to like an Ivy League graduate program and they have two kids together and she switched from a high-powered corporate track to working part-time for a nonprofit. Again, shrug, that's what she wanted to do, I guess. I just want to, like, unpack that, right? What do I read in that kind of voice and nonverbal communication? It's like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get it, but I will go along with it. Or, like, of all the choices in the world that were available to her, she made
2: that one choice. Except not all the choices were available to her. But, like, to him,
0: in the guy's mind, you would be like, oh, yeah. could Of all the things that she could have done, she picked this. Yeah, like, she could have gone to a private equity firm she could have gone into leadership at this corporation or whatever right this was her choice shrug i don't really understand but like so really i think what is underpinning all of this
1: is that basically more money means you matter more
0: but even to your
1: partner he's basically saying she like took the easy route she got out of the hamster wheel of the game which means she's like weaker or like but look, I understand, hey, maybe she has more fulfillment and what value are you can put on fulfillment. Cause when you're like not happy with your job, you are not a happy person to be around. I personally get that. And also when I was like downshifting versus downgrading your career, it goes back to the value system of money, right? And then if you're making less, then you're seen as less valuable. Is that not true?
0: I think money is a big driver of it. I think it also has to do with prestige, just generally what people around you, the people you run with think of as Cool. Totally. Can I tell you what happened the other day?
1: Marvin and I had our wedding anniversary and went to this like new cool Turkish restaurant in Seattle. Awesome. So we're sitting there. We've ordered our stuff. And then somehow the maitre d' was like, oh, what do you do for a living? Which I thought was really interesting <laughs> Then she just asked. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Marvin's like, oh, I'm a tech. Oh, there's a lot of people in Seattle in tech. Fine. It's a pass. Sufficient. Green light. And then she looks at me. She's like, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm an artist. I could see in her eyeballs, it's like, twitch, twitch. Like I could just see her go like, see wise. Like something like, oh, you actually don't do anything. And I was or like, like your husband must be
2: supporting your hobby.
1: <laughs> right? yeah. And then I had to clarify, which if you're in tech, do you have to clarify if you're in ads, SMB, AI? No, you don't because there's that value system attached to it. So I was like, oh, I'm a playwright, a performer. I'm, I'm an author. My book's coming out in March. Um, it's Macmillan. She don't fucking know what Macmillan is. She's like, okay. I was like, it's a top five. And then she's like, let me bring you your next course. I was like, goodbye. Okay, she walked away. And I was like, there is my chance to prove my worthiness. You felt like you had to
2: though, Susan, is the sad part. Oh yeah, that's sad for you, just sad
1: period hey, you want to scan this QR code? Go to my link tree and look at my press. There was so much in me that needed to prove that I quote unquote, it's a real job. It made me feel really sad because guess what? Even though I feel like I'm walking on my path, I wouldn't want to do anything else. I feel actually pretty successful at what I do. Do I ever think I'm enough? Of course not. Even though to other artists, they're like, wow, you're making it. You're doing it. Good for you. You know, like I'm still comparing myself to our classmates and how much they make up their annualized income. Even though I never cared to go to Goldman Sachs, I still feel like a shithead that I didn't. There's this weird disconnect in my brain that my values are so different. That's why I pursued a different path. And yet my values, I don't know if it's being the children of immigrants where I just still go like, Yeah, but did you really make it? You know, or let's see what list you actually get on. There's still not this satisfaction and knowing that there's already an enoughness. Marvin did not have to clarify what he does in tech. He just said it and it was accepted. And I just feel like I have to keep justifying. I I tell you, her eyes twitch, man. I don't know if she was a droid or what, but I could tell he was like judging me. And I just don't know if it's like all in my head or it's actually real. I will need to clarify for all listeners that Marvin... Continuously tells me he can't wait to be a trophy husband. Okay, <laughs> that's trophy. what that's Amanda what Jake says to me. I no, yeah, i like, was like, "Go be an influencer already, so I can re- be a stay-at-home dad." I'm like, okay. No. Yeah, and then like I can be a stay-at-home dad and go rock climbing during the day. Oh, what, was I, like, I, just, oh, what do you think it? I do? Go rock climbing. Was- yeah, this is see their version of stay-at-home. <laughs> I'm like, you if do know that I'm working. <laughs> Anyways, I had to tell you this story because it comes up in small moments like that. Like, oh, at yeah. a oh, and- Or at a party, what do you do? What do you do? Can we stop leading with the question, what do you do? And then Marvin's like, can you stop leading with the question, like, so when was the last time you cried? And what was that about? <laughs> I was like, sure. Look, people, we have five to 10 minutes. I need to know if we're going to be best friends or not. He's not asking about their sex lives. I'm like, it's about sex. You know, what's interesting, Susan, that you
2: you say that this is something that people lead with. What do you do? I've realized because I lived in France for a couple of years, this is a very cultural thing. So like basically in France, it's very taboo. It's very unclassy and very crude in conversation, especially with people you've just met to be like, hey, what do you do for your living? No one cares because I think culturally in France, even in Paris, which is like a big city, people want to know who
0: you are not what you do. Oh, but who we are is what we do. Right, in the U.S., I guess. In yeah. the U.S.? I, I agree with this, but also, don't you ever feel oh, like oh when you meet God. someone, you're like making small chat with them and you're trying not to ask them what they do, but it's always hanging on your shoulder. You're just like, when can I ask them? Because I don't know, maybe, Susan, it's like the furthest thing on your mind, but it's I have so that den- compulsion it. to just ask because, yeah, I'm so in the world. Well, it's also like Asian. Asians are all all about this, by the way. Chinese yeah. people are worse oh, yeah. Than
2: Americans. I would just put it out there. Oh, yeah. And that straight up ask. So what kind of income does your husband make? What's his monthly
0: salary? I'm like, none of your business. <laughs> but yes, on one hand, I understand. I'm like, wow, it would be so great to live in a society where people want to know who you are rather than they just want to know what you do. And then they feel like you check the mark and they can move on. But I'm also in that water, right? Like I also feel that compulsion to ask, what do you do? And and when you said, yeah, in France, people don't want to know what you do. They want to know who you are. And my immediate reaction was like, who you are is what you do. Ouch. Ouch. I love watching Terrace House.
1: Oh, yeah, I've watched a couple. No, what watched. is
0: it? Terrace House?
1: Oh, yeah, Terrace House, man. You
0: gotta watch Terrace. No, no.
1: It was like I think like the second season was the best. But anyways, it's a whole bunch of Japanese people live in the same house, boys and girls, and then they kind of date. And dating means like, oh do you want to like y'all you know, eat omu rice together and then i'll write something in ketchup on it in characters like very asian okay and, yeah and, yeah 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 actually even going on a date is scandalous but the opening credits is each of the people and it'll be like pretend jenny she's an aspiring hat maker these jobs that i'm just like you're in your 20s that's what you're doing that's cool i can't believe you're gonna feed yourself off of being an aspiring hat maker But then the other part of it, and I think this might relate back to France, is that there's probably a better social safety net around health and education because in a lot of European countries, they just pay for your college. You don't have that kind of debt, right? You get in an accident. You don't think you're like tens of thousands of dollars in the hole, whichever hospital you got to, because your insurance, you either don't have insurance, you know, it's like terrible. So I wonder if these other countries, they don't really have to like index on what you do as who you are is because... They can actually explore who they
2: are. That's a really good point, Susan. So I think for sure. So for example, in France, many people live at home when they go to college. And yeah, there is a huge social safety net. Like even if you don't have insurance, like literally calling an ambulance is like, I don't know, it's not a hundred Euros, but it's like not many thousands of euros. And so you're right. I think there is an element of that in there where there is a certain less pressure to make money for a certain outcome. Yes.
1: Jeanette, you know, I wish I didn't know you and then you sat next to me on a plane or we met at, at a mixer or something. Cause I'm like, first question I'm always like, So what makes you come alive? People either jet and leave and need to say they need to go get another drink or they're like, I don't know. And then we like go into singing and it turns into a therapy session. I'm like, damn, I don't have this kind of time. why
0: to you ask the question? <laughs> No, I don't think I would run away. I would be oh. pretty open to it. But you know, I think I've kind of lived in both worlds. I feel like those conversations are important. But then there's also this other side of me that's just like, okay, so what do you do? I feel like gaslighting is such a f- source of rage for me. I don't know. And maybe for other women as well. Just gaslighting for me. It's where other people pretend that something that you see is clearly happening is not happening. So there's, I I think there was actually a movie in the 50s called Gaslight.
2: Mm -mm, Yeah.
0: Okay. So I haven't watched the movie. So apologies if I get this wrong. But I think what happens is this man, he's psychotic and he's torturing this woman. But it's mental torture, right? So he lights the lamp every night, but he acts as if that it's not on. So that she's like seeing something. So it's like you start to lose confidence in your own lived experience as being true. And I feel like there's a lot about parenting and mothering in The modern American society where there is a lot of gaslighting involved. And I bring that up because the other thing that I I observed prior to having kids, you would go to the houses of more senior people and then you'd meet their wives because the team is like over to the boss's house for dinner or whatever. And then you would talk to the wife. Maybe she's a stay-at-home mom now, or she is working a job that's not on the high-powered corporate ladder, right? But often she will mention that she used to work in X, Y, and Z, maybe on a similar career path that her husband was on. There is a compulsion to mentioning that to say like, I-, I am also capable. You know what I mean? There was some guy later on made a joke around that, like a company party, I remember, because like, he also noticed that a lot of these women were would mention this. I was at Goldman or I was at McKinsey or whatever. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know that you're smart. But there is like, hey, I need to just tell you that I'm the same person as like, somebody who could have gone down that path. I just made different choices. And then on the other side, I don't know what to call it dismissiveness, a kind of still looking down on kind of thing. That's like a very real feeling. It's a real dynamic. So yeah, I wanted to talk about this because these are like little glimpses I've seen over the years. And I'm like, this is a real thing. The thing that a lot of us experience but it's not discussed because there's a lot of shame around it. And I feel like in the U.S., there's been like so many years of just fighting for opportunities in the workplace that I feel like even if you just utter the word, hey, maybe I don't want to have that high-powered career in this stage. Even in like circles among women, there's an allergic reaction to that. Well, you can't say that because if you say that, then all the things that we fought for, you're weakening the cause.
1: I remember when there was like, I don't know if it was in college college. Or maybe it was like business school. It would be the Q&A time after a company did a presentation. And then you didn't want to be the one to raise your hand to ask the question, so what's your work-life balance like? Because it all of a sudden signaled that you were not willing to hustle and work hard and perform at that company. So it's the language of work-life balance is so strange because it's almost like admitting defeat. I don't know what the word is, but they can't maximize value extraction out of you so you're less valuable. And I wonder about the wife at those parties if she felt like, now that you know I don't have a business card, it doesn't say VP on it, it doesn't say GM on it, you have no reason to talk to me because you don't want anything out of me. And so I'm now invisible. Maybe like humans are in a way so primal to always be looking for what am I going to gain out of this relationship? And then maybe that's why she had to justify it that she did still have worth even if you networking with her isn't going to get you like a promotion or the right yeah. placement of the right job that's more strategic for the company so you'd be more visible to leadership. She doesn't participate in that world anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she feels valueless.
2: You guys were talking about reminding me of this conversation I just had with a friend I haven't seen in a long time recently. I've always known that I think in the United States are the way that work is set up, especially for women, the system is terrible, right? Because we're talking about systems, like basically one of the reasons why I think women find it so hard to stay in the workplace. It's not just because we have all these obligations at home or these other considerations, it's also because the system is screwed up. Let me explain. Right. So what's interesting is so my friend grew up in Hong Kong and she worked in Singapore for many years. She had her two daughters there. They're also Chindian. And she said in Singapore, now, now, before anybody judges, just let me finish. Not the two of you, but I'm just saying our, our, our our listeners. In Singapore, it's very inexpensive to hire help. She paid her live-in nanny, who is Filipino, 900 sing, which is, I don't know how many U.S. dollars that is. Oh, 659 U.S. dollars a month to help watch her two kids or take them to school, cook, clean. My friend could focus exclusively on her career, as did her husband. They could go on dates, date nights every night after their kids went to bed because their nanny was always at home. They would just walk to the nearby shopping center, which by the way, in Asia, there's like a shopping center around every corner, which makes life infrastructurally very easy for parents, right? And so after a few years, because her husband's family is in the UK, they agreed they would move back to the UK to be near his family. And she was complaining, I hate my life in London. I was like, what? London is so amazing. I love London. And she's like, no, it's not because London's not a great city. It's help is so expensive there. So they found a way. They helped their Filipino nanny get into a college in the UK, which is very cheap, by the way. They're paying for her college fees. Even that, paying for her college fees so that she could come with them legally and nanny on the side is cheaper than hiring a nanny in London so that she and her husband could focus on their careers. And then she's like, now I spend a lot of my free time coordinating playdates with a lot of moms. But then a lot of the moms are stay-at-home moms because they had to become stay-at-home moms because of everything that we've just been talking about in the podcast. And they want to meet up for playdate at 3 p.m. But I work. And then she was saying she looks at the people above her and she's like, to be honest, all the VPs, they don't have kids. The women VPs, they have a dog but that's not like having a kid. I don't see that balance there. Or she's like, they've been working for so long. They've been able to grow with the company and get these extra benefits along the way so they could have this work-life balance, so to speak. And it was just so sad talking to her because I don't know, like, I think a lot of our problems are very U.S. specific. I I think we need to acknowledge that. I don't want to let off, like, the companies that we work for, our government, for not giving, like, federally mandated maternity leave, all these things. So, Who's taking the burden of that? We are. The women are, right? Like for all the failures, systemic failures, both public and private sector, women are taking the fall for that because women in other countries, granted, yes, there are issues with the whole like Filipino nanny system, et cetera. You could say all the sorts of things about that. But the thing there is that women, you know, we're pretty affluent, well-educated. They can have a career there. By the way, this is the same thing in China with my colleagues. You know what my colleagues schedule look like in similar position. They get up. Somebody's made breakfast for them. Housekeeper slash nanny. They go to work. They go work out. They come home. Kids are home fed by nanny. There's
1: dinner on the table. They put their kids to bed. What a good life because the the care is so cheap. I'm not, again, there are issues. The 996 of China is not necessarily a good life. Correct. Correct.
2: But I'm just saying like sometimes we get so caught up in America. We're in America. This is the only reality we know. It's hard to take a step back and be like, this reality doesn't have to be the reality.
1: Right? 100%.
0: I think I have a couple of reactions to that, which is for the moms you described, yes, that sounds great. I also want to consider the caregivers, whether that's a sustainable livelihood for them. And I studied economics. I think I'm fairly hard-nosed about these things. It's like, well, if that's a better opportunity than other Things. It's not something I'm necessarily opposed to, but I'm just saying they're also part of the equation, right? And so I don't want to minimize that. The issue is partly, yes, getting help and getting help around the house and getting help with extra childcare is expensive, right? So there's the cost element of it. I think we could be getting more help than we currently do. But like, I actually want to see my kids a little bit more than what a full time job would allow me to do. I want to be getting up with them and getting them ready for school. And then I want to see them after school and hear how their day was going. I want to feel like I am attuned to how they are doing and what's going on in their lives. And that to me necessarily just takes time. You know, you can't squeeze it into just only seeing them at bedtime. And I'm not saying that's what every mom wants or every parent needs to do. But for me, that is what I want to be doing at this stage of my kids' development. And so I think for me, the struggle is trying to process and be okay with some of the other pressures that I feel, which is the judgment around working less, choosing to work less, choosing to earn less money, choosing not to take the obvious path to a high-powered X position. I think that's more what I struggle with, and then instead choosing to spend that time and energy as a mom. So I think, yes, caregiving costs and all of that, totally valid. I'm also just saying that there's another consideration, which is for some parents, they may just actually want to be around more and that's what they would like to do. But these other voices telling them, hey, why are you doing that? That's not valuable. So I think there's that struggle as well. It's like a two-part struggle for the people who
2: want to do the classic career thing. There's just not enough infrastructural support. And then for the parents who do want to spend more time with their kids, they feel like there's a value judgment on that, right? Whatever decision you're trying to make, it sucks.
0: Yeah, as somebody who has an educational background where they could have taken a certain high-powered career path, I feel like there's a judgment either way, right? If you're a mom that you don't spend enough time with your kids or that you spend too much time with your kids and not enough on your job, I feel like there's a judgment either way. It's hard to feel like you win.
1: Ah, those to be good things. Wait, can we examine why it's like on the moms to be recognizing, okay, there's excess work I've tried to do it all. If I keep trying to do it all, I'm, my head's going to explode and the plates are spinning. We're all going to just be eating off broken plates. And there's a point where I'm going to assume typically the majority, let's go 80-20 rule, that women are the ones that are doing the reflection of, okay, what can our household bear? And then what's going to change and who's going to take it on? Like why the women?
2: My point was similar to that too,
1: actually. Oh, really? Okay.
2: (laughs) I think Jeanette has mentioned this before and I'm going to tread carefully because I think Jeanette, you and I were saying it's a very (laughs) sensitive topic, which is that my question was more related. Is there a biological imperative? Now, before everybody jumps down my throat, let me explain that. I'll give an example. I was talking to an acquaintance who she has founded multiple companies. She loves startups. It's like her thing. She had a baby and her parents live with them. She has given over the care of the kid to entirely her parents so she could just focus on her job. So basically she's, oh, I'm like a, the baseball cap of moms is how she likened herself, which I just do enough. Even then she's like her son wants mommy over dad. And so again, Jeanette, I think we mentioned this. We've talked about this before.
0: Is there, can we say it? Can we say it?
1: Can we say it? Oh my God. I feel so weird. I, oh my gosh.
0: In this era of canceling.
1: <laughs> I know. But don't like, cancel like, me, everybody. I'm just... So...
2: Putting it out there into the either what people think but are afraid to say, is there the biological imperative with mothers, mother figures, however you want to call it, if the mother figure didn't birth the child, that makes the role very different, like in a way that is very hard to offset. I don't know if offset is the
1: right word by the father figure or the
2: father person.
0: Am I making sense? I've
1: shared it in a different episode before. Whenever Art falls down, I feel a lightning ping in my knees. Okay? It's weird. Wow, I don't know what it is. Or he's about to fall. I feel this surge physically in my body. I don't know if it's like umbilical cord haunting, ghost back or something like being physically connected to your child in utero. I'm guessing Marvin doesn't feel that when Art falls. He's going to go rock climbing when he's a stay-at-home dad. What do you think? I Do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's got to be something around. I, like, physically fed you through your umbilical cord. You came out of me. There's body memory. I don't know. I have no answers to it, but I get what you're saying. Okay, good. So you're not canceling me. Thank you. Oh, no. But I just wonder the trend. Jeanette why is it that it's all these moms at the fancy dinners that are the stay-at-home moms? Is this going to go back to like women's rights and when they could vote and when they could have education so then they're not represented in all these high-powered positions? So it just makes sense financially for the dude who hasn't been as oppressed as to be the one to continue working or to hour per hour, it makes sense for them not to do these other forms of labor.
0: Yeah, I think that, that there's a couple of different things. This is all me spitballing, but in our current economic structure, if you think of the family as like one economic unit, I feel like there is a greater benefit to having one person go all in their career and then the other person manage the family life, then have two people both take a more moderate career path, if that makes sense. And I think that maybe differs by what kind of career area you are in, but I think that there is that dynamic in a lot of different career paths. And I also think that there could be some kind of biological imperative, whether it's, yeah, it's biological or probably some combination of biological and socialized, maybe that lean mom more in that direction. I think to frame it in a positive way, I think moms, even though we may feel torn about it, okay, it may come out in a very controversial way, but I think we may feel the pull to choose what's more important, no matter what people outside might say. And even if That decision is not necessarily clear cut and we still feel stressed about pulls and pushes of the people around us or society in general. I think we look at what we feel like we need to do for the entirety of our family. Like if that means somebody needs to have more of their mind share on what's going on with family and kids stuff, we end up just doing that because regardless of what society says, if we think that's the right decision, we're more likely to notice that and to act on it. And these things build on each other, right? If you are busy at work, then maybe you're less likely to see where the kids are and like what they actually need, what they're struggling with and what needs to happen to help them. But I think a lot of moms just are more attuned to that and then say, okay, given this, I am going to make the best decision. Okay. And this doesn't have to be a gender thing. It could be biological or socialized, but I think. We also choose the relationships, like supporting the family relationships, supporting the relationships we have with our kids, supporting even the relationship we have with our partner, and choosing that over prestige and the other external markers of success. I feel like some people might see that as a positive thing, like a mark of strength, and some people might just be super angry that I said that. But I wonder if that's also like a part of it, which is you put the median guy In the same situation, is he more or less likely to choose like what other people claim him for versus what's more private, what's less seen? But, you know, in your heart is important. I don't know, maybe because women have traditionally just had less power and less public prestige. So we're more okay choosing like the things that are unseen or less seen like publicly. But, you know, I wonder if that's a part of it.
2: It reminds me of an episode we did back in the day. I can't remember exactly which one, but about how women, especially in Asian cultures, we anticipate people's needs. Like when we're at a party or when we see what people are needing, we provide that. But that could be either innate or it could definitely be socialized, right? Because I think of how I was raised and I was raised by my parents to do the household things. And so maybe I just became more attuned over time. I guess the question for me then is, is this basically inescapable? Is this just how it is? What
1: can we do then? This is like the paradox of being the nurturing figure. It's like we feel this obligation. We know it's the right thing to do. We do it. And yet we get shortchanged by society and also ourselves, right?
0: Yeah. If I kind of think, what do I wish was different? There is the aspect of greater equality, right? Which is just sharing more of the burden of the mental, emotional, and physical burden of child rearing and family stuff with your partner, which I think is definitely important. But I feel like basically, it just dominates the entire conversation on this topic in America. The other thing that I also wish got more play is just respecting the act of parenting and the work of parenting, because it's very important work. I think all of us have some intuitive understanding of this. But now there's a lot of academic studies that are coming out that say, how you grew up and the traumas that you experienced in your childhood really affect how you are as an adult, right? Not just like your emotional health, but in real ways, like your ability to hold down a job, like your ability to be in steady, good relationships. And all of that translates into economic output and how much stress you put on the overall system. So I feel like it has real implications. And I wish that the act of parenting just got more recognition. And one thing that I think is interesting is one article that I feel took the stance or advocated for or tried to bring attention to this issue actually was written by a man. So there was an article a couple of years ago in The Atlantic by Andy Moravchek. Actually, I had him as a professor at Harvard. He and his wife were both professors of political science, I think. But he wrote this article because his wife, Anne-Marie Slaughter, took a senior job in the State Department under Hillary Clinton. And then while she was there or like shortly after she left, he wrote this article about how he was the lead parent in their relationship and the need for a lead parent in any family, right? And how necessarily that involves maybe taking a different stance towards your career than your partner who maybe is not the lead parent. I thought it was so interesting that it took a man taking on that role to then write about it. Whereas it's such a prevalent experience among women to be the lead parent, yet there is like less of a demand for that to be recognized and less willingness from society to recognize it and to engage in a discussion about it. So I think that this is something that's becoming a little bit more clear to me in terms of my personal stance is the conversation about equality is very important. I don't want to diminish that, but I also feel like there's an important conversation to be had around just as a society valuing like the work of parenting and all the work and labor that goes into that how important that is so anyway i'll get off my soapbox it is an important
1: soapbox but it's ironic that it took a man to write it to add dignity to the role as yeah the parent. i think that's very interesting yeah that's probably why people quote-unquote
2: might take him more seriously Because if it's a woman writing, but it's just us complaining again about the same old thing. But if it's the man writing and it's like a thoughtful observation because he took on a minority, like a role that has made him the minority.
1: Yeah, it was like, hey, good job for being an ally, bro. But at the same time, we don't want to overpraise
0: you because this is what we have been doing the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyway, for any mom or dads out there who are rethinking their career or downshifting. Wait, wait. I See, that's my next thing is that
1: we talked about the internal turmoil around the judgment around all this because downshifting is inherent in the word down, that it's not as good, right? We didn't say upshifting at some point. I think words really matter and how we view it let's just try it on today how else you can say it what did you do Jeanette did you downshift or did you let's just try on different words right now because I think downshifting inherently is still cutting I don't know reallocating but
0: that's like a little re-articulating. bit
1: articulating, more... rearticulating, re-articulating. <laughs> reprioritizing I just want to be like a sassy lady drinking my blackberry bramble cocktail at a party and be like "I just my values changed I feel really more fulfilled. Like I want say something really confident and believe it. Instead of being like, no. Or maybe I'll just be really honest and be like, still just as insecure. But I hate my life a lot less. And then <laughs> take a drink. You know what I mean? I just want different words for this because I just, I don't know if this is true that my 20-year-old self is disappointed in me. Like, oh girl, you coasted in now. I think one part of my 20-year-old self is proud of who I am now. It's just not how I imagined it to be or the way to get there wasn't the way I thought it was going to be or maybe the money isn't there yet. My friend always said, you're always going to eat a shit sandwich about something. Like there's nothing ever perfect about anything, right? There's always some kind of con that you're looking at and some kind of upside. So I guess I just want to put that out there of like, how do we be more graceful with ourselves given that we're in a different life stage? And part of this is self-preservation, people. We're trying to make changes in our life so, we don't just melt everywhere.
0: Yeah. I don't know what the right phrase is. If listeners, if you think of a good phrase, please send them to us and we will try to help disseminate this new freak. I think it would be great, Susan, like this image that you had of, yeah, you are at that cocktail party with maybe your former coworkers or your friends. You're at like your college reunion or you have your husband's coworkers over. Or at the office party, right? And you are explaining what you are doing and what is like the language and also what's like the cultural context in which you can say, hey, I'm reallocating my time to make more space for my kids and my family. But how could you like say that in a way that doesn't make you feel less? Okay, wait, here's an idea that makes me sound like
1: a bee. Okay, but I'd be like, I just did a lot of not a bee, Not a buzzly bee.
2: No, yeah, like the other bee.
1: Yeah, yeah. He for me, yeah i just did some reflections on like chasing badges and i was like that's not what i want on my tombstone i
0: think (laughs) i still want the badges that's the thing i still want the badges but but (laughs) i'm so my own (laughs) i don't know i still want the badges i don't think they are necessarily just all bad but i have to define the path for getting there sorry another hard thing to say is i'm not willing to just sacrifice everything for those badges I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my kids for those badges. I'm not willing to sacrifice my mental health for those badges. I'm not willing to sacrifice my relationship with my husband for those badges. I'm just not. I don't care what anybody says. Girl, I think you got your next tote pad
1: or like t-shirt. And we just put that in all caps.
0: Yeah, I don't think the badges are bad and I still want those badges. But I think I have a clearer sense of my parameters. And I think it's hard to say that in a society that idolizes no boundaries so i go
1: to a lot of hippie places all right i go to a lot of like clothing optional hot springs like <laughs> oh my god story but not right now but it's okay. such a... i think i'm gonna even write an essay about it <laughs> i'll talk about it later but when i talk about my life and like what i've chosen to do or at these all these retreats and centers and stuff we never ever talk about career and even if we did i'd sing whatever i want about it you know anything about what I'm doing. And it's just, for the most part, 80-20 rule, right? These hippies will be just be like, yeah, there's no judgment. It's acceptance. There's like deep listening. And then that's it. It's free of all that. You know, so talking in this way about badges and in those kinds of spaces, it feels very like, of course you would do that. It's just that when we go to these events, we're dressed a certain way or like, People are being honored for certain things that are clearly about achievement and money and whatever. You're going to a place where the values are a certain way. And so you're not down for that. Either don't go there, right? Or yeah, you got to do your own therapy work so you don't have to like always keep justifying. But I'm an award-winning artist. You don't have to like say those things. You just say, I am an artist. And then that's it. And maybe they're going to clarify. Oil painting? And then you clarify. And then that's it. So I think part of it is the internal work to get to a place where we don't have to justify because we are so secure in our choices, right? And that we have done our own reframing and believe it. And the other part is just don't hang out with those people. You know, if it's not down to come, okay, I know there's obligation. I know there's certain things that you just have to do, but also it's it's the inner work. I just had, hung oh out yeah, with a high school friend yesterday, she came to my house, I was telling her about something I was stressed out about. And she was like, if it ain't in your bucket, fuck it. And I was like, okay. Don't know what these buckets are, but okay, that sounds cool. You know, that place of just letting it go, not caring, not being attached to it, recognizing when it has power over you and you don't like it. Cool. Like, what can you shift around that? Yes, there's stuff that's wrong with our country in terms of how we support parents. But the other part is just our own internal work around not giving any fucks.
0: Yeah, I think I've been wrestling with that because I think that it would be great to be a person who didn't care about what other people thought. I suspect that most people who've gone to highly selective colleges do not fall in that bucket. I suspect most people don't fall in that bucket.
1: Most yes. people care. Most people are always measuring themselves and trying to figure out where they are in a hierarchy and a social situation. We're animals.
0: Well, yeah, I have been thinking about how much of this is about changing my internal voice versus like, How reasonable is it to ask a person to stay strong in their beliefs when it feels like their environment is not supportive of that? So I think it's both, right? It's both about changing your own perspective and doing that internal work. But I think there is also a big part of it because, yeah, you're right. Like, we are animals. We are social animals and we are hardwired to pay attention and value what other people think. And when we feel like other people are going a different way or don't approve of what we do, it's a stressor. So it's both. Is there anything else y'all want to say before we wrap? Can I just give my blessing to the parents who are choosing to reallocate their time? Yes. Give me a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully people got something out of this, even if they don't agree with everything that we said. But I just want to say if you're a parent, there's no such thing as putting in zero effort into parenting. I think Being a parent in and of itself means that there's always labor involved. And if you've chosen to say that for yourself and for your family, it's a better decision right now to make room for yourself and your kids and your partner, I want to send an encouragement to you. That choice can be hard, but you should do what's right for your family that benefits your kids and your spouse and yourself. And that's hugely valuable.
1: Put in a crass way, only you know how many hemorrhoids you have. What? What <laughs> me. only you know how difficult all the things going on in your life and only you can make the right choice. Kate always understands me. Or your hemorrhoids and your life. No, I understood oh. you, but I was just like, why do you have to put it that way? You know, I'm keeping it real, right? It's an unseen internal process that is happening caused by a lot of stress. And if you know that the stress is just like destroying you. You're going to make your own choices that are right for you. And no one's going to truly know that benefit, but you.
2: But you have to believe in the benefit. You have to believe in that.
1: Yeah. Speaking. Preparation H for yourself. Oh, that should <laughs> be the title of my our- No, um, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Jeanette, for your blessing. Yes, parents make choices for you. Yes, people are going to judge. But you know what? Only you know the benefit for yourself, right? because we're all melting. So my inside thought today is because we were talking about how lack of glory there is in motherhood, like it's such a thankless job that has so much hidden labor around it and physical labor. (laughs) I wanted to talk about glory and I wanted to talk about engagement rings. Because I was at the Space Needle the other day and this girl and this guy were just like doing a video where her ring was glistening in the light uh, off the view of the Space Needle and she's super obsessed with the ring. The guy was kind of just standing around, didn't really look like he was very engaged. But the girl needed her ring photo. You know, the girl like needed to show everyone. I mean, no one's ever going to say it, but I'm so baller or I'm marrying into this. I'm so like, look at me, Right. And I'm curious, now that you are X years into your marriage, now that you have kids expenses, all this stuff, what do you think about the engagement ring industry? Do you still love it? And it was so amazing. And it was totally worth X dollars. Or do you think it's like a scam and that it's just another trap that women fall into the status thing where, man, if we only use that amount of money and invest in the S&P 500, maybe you could have paid for other things later. Clearly unbiased. Curious do you still believe in the glory of the engagement ring or have your feelings changed around it? Because I feel like that's such a glory w- moment for women to then not prepare us for the fact that being a, a woman just sucks. <laughs> like that is just so hard, but that's our glory moment.
0: I don't think I really am f- a good audience for this question <laughs> because Jake and I, when we were in college and I feel like for a couple of years after college, we were like really into being like super cheap. I'm talking about dumpster diving cheap. Okay, guys, do you guys know what dumpster diving is? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Wait, to, what I, was the best thing you got? What, what was the best thing? Now I want your cred here.
1: Mm-hmm. What was the best thing you got with dumpster diving? How often did you go? would you get?
0: There was probably like two years where we would go every month. We would go to this Trader Joe's in Arlington, Virginia. And the best haul that we got was, there was a couple. We got like all this lamb that was just carted out. And we also got gourmet cheese. So we got some really good hauls. Anyway, so that was me. Wait, this is when you guys were still McKinsey consultants? Yep. Yep. Why have I never known this before? I feel like this is such a classic Jake, Jake and Jeanette story. We're no longer dumpster dive. There's still a strain in my personality and Jake's personality that's like this. And also Jake didn't buy his engagement ring. It's a family thing. Um, So there was like that. And that's its own thing, right? The fact that there is one for him to give me, right? That's like, that's its own thing that we can discuss. But he didn't buy it, right? So we didn't really, quote unquote, participate in a direct way in the engagement ring industry. But another story I will tell you is that I initially did not wear my engagement ring. So after we got married, after the engagement period was over, I put the ring. Oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm like, am I going to share this story? Because I haven't shared it yet. Okay, I put the engagement ring in a box and I only wore the wedding band, which is like just a thin gold band. And I will just say that for a period of eight hours, the engagement ring was not in my possession by accident.
2: No, so it was stolen.
0: Uh, nope, it was donated along with my old puffy winter jacket, and it was in the pocket. But you recovered it. Obviously. I recovered it. Okay, I will just tell the story. Um, I so I was only wearing my wedding band. I kind of had like this dance, like I'm like this ring is very glittery. It's not really like me. I'm only just going to wear the wedding band. I put it in a box. Like a regular box? I put it in a ring box. Okay. And I put it in my winter jacket pocket and I put it in a storage box with my other old winter clothes. And then one spring, I decided it would be a good idea to go through all my old clothes and give some to Goodwill. This jacket went in that pile. It went to Goodwill. We dropped it off. We came back home. I was like, Washing my face or something. I don't know. I was doing something in the bathroom. And suddenly my brain, I'm very thankful for my brain or my subconscious because my subconscious told me two hours later, Jeanette, remember what's in that jacket? Oh my God. And I just remember yelling, Jake, what? we have to go to that Goodwill right now. So we immediately drive down to the donation center and I just tell the guy, I'm like, I realized I donated a jacket that I didn't mean to donate. Could I go get it? And he's like, sure, but it's in that giant metal container somewhere. So I had to climb a ladder and like do another dumpster dive. dive. Yeah, into this giant dumpster container filled with old stuff from random people. I look for my bag. I find it pretty quickly, probably in about 10 minutes. Grab my jacket and we leave. And it's still in there. I'm so thankful. And since then, I have worn my engagement ring because you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want (laughs) to accidentally lose it again. But anyway, that just tells you a lot about me and not a story that you expected. Jeanette, dumpster diving park. Yeah, what can I say? I hate waste. Insane. Great. Okay,
1: so you had an heirloom for an engagement ring, different story slash you love dumpster diving. Got it. So you're not in the <laughs> LA. I don't even know all the big brands. I don't even know. So what about you, Kate? Tell me about your engagement ring. I'm not wearing it right now, actually. But were you one of those types that was like, nira you're gonna propose to me right i already picked up the ring go buy it and surprise me so i did tell him exactly what i
2: wanted which was this is very nerdy of me i wanted a 0.8 carat yellow diamond engagement ring because i didn't want like a regular I, i like yellow diamonds and by the way later on learned it's all because of Tiffany. they like somehow in the 90s or something they started this big campaign around yellow diamonds anyway i didn't know it at the time i just thought yellow was really pretty And the reason why the specific carat size is because I tried on bigger ones. So weirdly enough, for some reason, yellow diamonds, they don't make small rings. They're always almost one carat or two carats. But I was like, that's too short. Like, I don't want to be that showy. Like, I want something that looks like reasonably sized. I have really skinny fingers. In fact, my ring size, if you believe it, is size three and a half at the base. Wow. I have a really skinny. Yeah, exactly. But the funny story is that my mother-in-law tried to talk me up to getting a bigger ring. She's like, but you should at least do one carat because da-da-da. And I was like, no, 0.8 is good enough. I realized later that she thought maybe it would reflect poorly on her and her son if my rock were too small. Anyway, we found the diamond through like a family member. You know, if you're Indian, especially from North India, one of your cousins, distant or otherwise, will be a diamond dealer. It's just, that's how it is. I don't want to sound like I'm racist, but it's true, fact, okay? So Nerv's second cousin or first cousin once removed or something, help source the diamond. He still had to pay for it. To this day, I don't know how much the ring costs because he won't tell me. Okay. And obviously I'm not even wearing it now because that cousin sweet talked me into doing some sort of fancy clasp where it's called like a ringmate because I have a big knuckle and a small base. So he's like, oh, if you do it with this ringmate, you can basically it unclasps so you can get it over the knuckle, but then it fits at the base. But the problem is over the years, the clasp gets loose. So now I don't want to lose it. So just sitting there because then I have to get it reset. But in order to get it reset, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I'm like, I don't really feel like I want to spend that much money right now. So I'm basically only wearing my wedding band.
0: The end. Okay. Just make sure it doesn't go to the Goodwill. I know. Okay. I will. I, I, I thought I lost it the other day and I freaked the fuck out, but then I found it. So yes. I'm so so
1: curious about unpacking why he won't tell you how much it costs.
2: I don't know. I'll ask him again today and see if he'll tell me. <laughs> I mean, what's that about? I don't know. It's just very expensive. He, he's like, you don't want to know. Just, I, w- I won't tell you. And I'm like, I don't know. But he, <laughs> I'll ask him today. I'll text you guys.
1: Okay, fascinating. I, I was like, did you get a discount from your, like, Indian gem dealer cousin? He was like, not really. <gasps> Disgusting. Okay, so what are you, now reflecting on all of that, what do you think about engagement rings? It's fine. I feel like it's definitely a status symbol kind of thing. They're lab diamonds
2: now, which I hear, like, they basically look exactly the same to the naked eye. And if you're all about just the flashiness, then why not just get a lab diamond, right? It's cheaper, more sustainable, no blood diamonds there. i part of the blood diamond. Exactly. And if it's all you care about is like how big and flashy it is, why would it, you know, but if you're someone who really appreciates, let's say, jewelry and the craftsmanship, which I think there is like a gr- burgeoning group of these people. I follow some jewelry people on Instagram, and I feel like it's very fascinating to learn about the craft. So now I would order a custom engagement ring from someone who's local or someone who I really respect, who really has a deep expertise in jewelry making and have it less focused around the stone, which I think stereotypically is what people focus on and more about the design and its meaning. Whoa. Okay. I'd be even more picky about it, but for different reason. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. This is all on brand for all of us. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so me and Marvin men in grad school, And then he was like, oh, I got a job offer at Amazon. You want to move with me to Seattle when the time came to graduate? And I was like, where is this going? Because I know zero people in Seattle. All my people are in the Bay Area. And you were not engaged at this point? No, no, no. And I mean, we'd been dating like about like a year and a half or something. But I just wanted to know what's up because if we're just like, Having a good time, that's cute, but I'm going to go back to the Bay Area. I don't know anybody in Seattle. So we moved. He's like, oh, I was like, are we getting rhymes with married? I didn't want to just say the M word to be that girl, but I needed some clarification. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, so anyways, we moved here and then six months in, it's like near Christmas time and I'm getting antsy because I'm like, why am I in Seattle? Like, why? It was it a was hard time finding a job. Finally, Christmas Eve rolls around. I'm like laying in bed. We're like in bed and I was in a bad mood. I was just like, what's the point? Should I just move back to the Bay Area? (laughs) We're like inner PJs. The lights are off. He's like, what, you want me to propose right now? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? I was like, no, that's not what everyone's going to ask what the story is. And I was just bickering in bed and I forced you. That sounds not romantic. He's like, I could. You You want me to do it? And I'm like, no. The next morning is Christmas. And he's like, oh, I got you another present. I was like, oh, my God, what is it? He's like, snowshoes. No shoes. <laughs>
0: but that's such a Marvin
1: thing. What <laughs> is like no shoes? You that's want my me job. to go out on Christmas Day when I could be watching nostalgic movies like home alone and Elf and be warm. And you want my toes to get cold. You, you know, know my chin is colder than yours. So we go out on a hike, snowshoeing. I'm hungry. We're lost. I sit down. I just I'm like, just go. I'm just gonna eat, and I'm eating my food as cold food in our Nalgene containers. And then he gets down on his knees and he proposes to me, and I'm like, "You had the ring the whole time." And he's, <laughs> "Yeah." So do you you want to get married? And I was like, the first question I said to him was like, "How much did you pay for this ring?" <laughs> <What's-> <laughs> what question I asked? I was like, "Really? No, really? Yeah." and oh then he God. was like don't They're worry good. I got it on Blue Nile they don't have a storefront so there's no middleman, so <laughs> it's cheaper." <laughs> and I was like okay good answer sure let's do it let's get married that's what I said <laughs> I never got a wedding band so I just continued to wear my engagement ring because I just thought two rings so excessive where am I going to put the other ring when I'm not wearing the other ring I was like ring management That was too stressful for me. So then his mom was like, where's your wedding ring? I was like, oh, no, I already got one. And I don't even know how many carrots it is. Okay, I don't know anything about it, except that he has her certificate on Blue Nile if we wanted insurance to claim it or something. But that's it. When I saw the girl with the Space Needle doing her whole ring video thing, I thought it was just like a small world for us to just be like, this is where our glory is. It makes me feel so conflicted. And I, and I don't want to poo-poo on anyone's parade. You love your ring. That's great. But I don't want it to be too much of a hazard for me where it's, oh, I'm going to this event. I can't wear it because I don't want to get stolen or whatever.
0: Yeah, I think that is like a thing. I don't really like to have things that I'm like really worried about. So, yeah, I think that's a part of it. Do I think as a society, there's a tendency to condition women to valuing these things overly? Yes. Do I also think there's just like a natural variation in personality? And some people just really appreciate visually appealing things more than others. Yes. But I agree with you. I think I would have had the same reaction where I'm like, that's interesting. That's not me. But kudos to you. Now when I look at my ring, I'm like, it's a new type of hazard.
1: Like when I'm sleeping and we're co-sleeping. I feel like I'm going to scratch everyone's face. It kind of gets in the way. And so now I wish I just have a wedding band because it's just practical.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. That's why I'm wearing this wedding band, it's, it's very thin and it's very convenient.
0: Yeah. But usually, in the one
2: time that I've gotten hit on in Seattle, I've been like, I'm married. Bye. But
0: yeah. sorry, Jeanette. <laughs> oh, no, I usually turn my ring in the, like this. Yeah. Turn I've the stone. Why do you do that. Sometimes uh, if I'm out in the middle of downtown Seattle and I'm walking, uh, I turn it in so that the stone is not visible. But another part of it is it's kind of become a nervous habit, too, if I just fiddle around with it. But the other thing is sometimes I, I have scratched my kids with it. And so just turning it inward makes it less likely that I'm going to scratch them by accident.
1: So many things to think about. All right, friends, always lovely to chat with you. Let's go back to transforming our value system. <laughs> no, This is unbelievable.
0: No, but parenting, it's so important. I think maybe this is me justifying my own choices but i've just come to feel more strongly that parenting is massively undervalued in society not just like in terms of the system supports which i also think is a very important part of the conversation but in just terms of how we talk and culturally like the values we hold so it's something that i have started to feel more strongly about and had more clarity about all right that's all she wrote thanks everybody bye We hope you found something helpful, reassuring, or interesting in this episode of Model Minority Moms. If you enjoyed the episode, please help us spread the word by texting a friend about our show or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to connect with us, please visit our website at modelminoritymoms.com or follow us on Instagram, where we love receiving messages from our listeners.